0: a powerful amen good morning everybody are we excited this morning can we celebrate our fellowship with a shout glory whoa hallelujah amen all right grab your pen your notebook your bible you can be seated with your sweet smart self this morning Oh my goodness, what a joy to see every one of you this morning and what a joy to have all of you in fellowship together as we explore the riches of redemption. As we look into the details of scripture to build from where we started last night. The book of Ephesians chapter 1 verse number 16, Ephesians chapter 1 verse number 16, we began to lay foundations on the call of God, the call of God. Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, next verse, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now remember we did a reconstruction yesterday because of the syntax situation in that verse. We said God does not give you the spirit after salvation. The giving of the spirit is salvation. You are born of the spirit. So the giving of the spirit is salvation. Therefore, God doesn't give you the spirit after salvation. So this prayer wouldn't be that God will give unto you the spirit of wisdom. It will be that God will grant you access into wisdom and revelation of the spirit. Wisdom and revelation of the spirit that has already been given to you. All right. Wisdom and revelation of the spirit that has already been given to you. Next verse. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know. The enlightenment of your eyes is that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Pay attention to the word inheritance. I said that in London, but we never got there at all. All right, So, we will get there. To the word inheritance. Usually, we have definitions or words that have been given definitions. Not by the Bible. But we read our thoughts into the scriptures and give the scriptures our own definitions. And that makes the scriptures not to deliver the meaning it intended to communicate. Okay, so most times we just read words and we give it our meaning. You know, recent or modern speakers, teachers, or denominations, and we use those words today because popular people, people we call popular or people we call great men or women of God, use those words and we take it to be that must be what it is. Not because it is a word of the Bible, But just because it has been defined for us. For example, someone says, I am an evangelist. I am an evangelist. Then we say, an evangelist is someone who organizes crusades. An evangelist is someone who organizes crusades. From where? There's no such statement in the entire Bible. So in our minds, we believe that once we say you are an evangelist, you must go around organizing crusades. It also means you don't belong to any local church. Your job is to be wherever sinners are. All right. So, do you ever read that anywhere in the Bible? Someone, you know, in the Bible is called an evangelist who doesn't have a church but just goes around organizing crusades. You won't find that anywhere in the Bible. It's just a definition that we have created. There are three places the word evangelist appears in the entire New Testament. So let's do a little bit of work on that because we're dealing with the call of God. Acts chapter 21 verse 8 is the first one. Acts chapter 21 verse number 8. It says, and the next day we that were of Paul's company departed and came on to Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist. Which was one of the seven and abode with him. Look at Ephesians chapter four verse eleven. Ephesians chapter four verse eleven. That's the second place in the New Testament where you will see the use of the word evangelist. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Some evangelists. Second Timothy chapter four verse number five. 2 Timothy. Chapter four, verse number five. But watch thou in all things and endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. Now let's look at where and who the evangelist was used for contextually in Scripture. Ephesians again, chapter four, verse eleven and twelve. Ephesians 4 and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? Look at the next verse. For the perfecting of the saints. So the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastoring, teachers are for the perfecting of the saints in the local assembly. So the evangelist ministry is in the local church, not organizing crusades somewhere seen as a guarded. Look at it in context, because there's going to be a whole lot of unlearning and relearning in this session. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So the saints are the ones that the evangelist is supposed to perfect. So he lets you know that the work of an evangelist is toward the saints, toward the saints. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Brother Paul now writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, he says, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Brother Paul is writing to Timothy, a bishop over churches. He says, you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Next verse, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Next verse, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished. Unto every good work. The next chapter, 4 verse 1. He continues the discourse. Chapter 4 verse 1. 2 Timothy. Chapter 4 verse number 1. I charge thee therefore. In view of what the scriptures are for. So you can be perfected. I charge you therefore before God. And the Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Next verse. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Next verse. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having each in ears. Look at the next verse. Verse 4. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Next verse. I like this verse 5 now. But watch thou in all things, Timothy, endure afflictions. Timothy the bishop, do the work of an evangelist and make full proof of thy ministry. So, he should do the work of the evangelist towards the sinner or towards the church. Towards the church, all right? So, there's no basis of using the word evangelist for sinners in Scripture. Pay attention. It's just a traditional thinking, or it's we creating our meaning into the Scripture, what we call innovation. We don't innovate in Bible teaching. We excavate. To innovate means I'm reading my thoughts into the scriptures. I'm making the scriptures say what I think, but not what the scriptures intends to say. Okay, that's that's innovation. But excavation is allowing the scriptures as we dig into the scriptures to discover what the scriptures communicated by the author intended to say from when he said it. Like I've always said, the scriptures can never mean today what it never meant when it was first written. I repeat that. The scriptures can never mean today what it never meant when it was first written. So what it meant when it was first written is what it means today in spite of circumstances and situation and it will be what it will mean tomorrow. Because Truth is consistent, it never changes, irrespective of times and seasons. So, we do not innovate, but we excavate in Bible teaching. Now, let's exclude Acts 21 because we'll get there. And the reason is simple because Acts 21 is specific. The word evangelist is from a Greek word, you are The Greek word, you are jealousis. it has an active word and a verb. It's called you are geliso. You are the verb is you are which simply means to be a good news. To be a good news or to be a report. Evangelist is one who bears good news or to be a report. Now, listen carefully. If you're reading a book and you start from chapter 20, you start reading the book from chapter 20. That means it's chapter 1 to 19. You jump to chapter 20. And then you say, I got to the house of Matthew. The IT specialist. Matthew, the IT specialist. Pastor Fowler is laughing because Pastor Matthew is not here. That means (laughs) there must have been another Matthew in the picture. That's why you added the IT specialist. Why I had to say the IT specialist was because of who, you know, the other Matthew. Now, like the book of Luke was written, and the book of Acts, written by Brother Luke. Luke and Acts were written by Brother Luke. So, I usually say the book of Acts is part B of the book of Luke. In the book of Luke, it's the same book, the same writer, the same audience. The book of Luke and the book of Acts, the same audience, the same writer, and the same book. It's just that one is part A, and one is part B. So, Luke is part A, Acts is part B. Now, in Acts chapter 1 verse 1, let's see the audience that Brother Luke addressed when he wrote the book of Luke. Acts chapter 1 verse 1, the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. So, the book of Acts was addressed to Theophilus. The book of Luke chapter 1 verse 3. Let's see the audience of the book of Luke. Luke chapter 1 verse number 3. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. So the book of Luke was written to Theophilus. And the book of Acts was written to Theophilus by the same author. That's why the book of Luke is part A and the book of Acts is part B of the same story. Are you still here? Now, pay attention also. In in that same scripture where we just read, he says the evangelist. Then he mentioned Philip in Acts chapter 8. Philip the evangelist. In chapter 8, he doesn't call him Philip the evangelist. In chapter six, Philip is one of those seven men that were chosen to help in the daily ministration. Out of the seven of them, Philip was one in the number. If you pay attention, and they were meant to be deacons. Deacons. Today, if you say who is a deacon, they will say he is a non-preaching minister, one who handles natural things. Like ushering to clean the building or to wash the toilets or he is a guy who stands behind the camera to film the services or a deacon is that brother or that sister who collects the offerings and takes them to the office to count them and put them in the bank. That's our definition of a deacon, but that's not true because that is nowhere in the Bible. The deacon, let me give you an example of a deacon is. Joshua was Moses' deacon. Joshua was Moses' deacon. Okay? And you will also find that Elisha was Elijah's deacon. Elisha was Elijah's deacon. So a deacon is a leader in training. A deacon is a leader in training who is like an intern. You are learning something. A deacon is an intern one who is learning something. An intern pastor. That's why in First Timothy chapter 3, the office of the bishop and the office of the deacon had the same qualifications. Except to rule and teach. That was the difference. But all the other qualifications for deacon and bishop were the same. The only difference between the deacon and the bishop is that the bishop will rule and teach, but the deacon doesn't have ruling and teaching. But all other qualifications are the same. The reason is because the deacon is not going to teach until he is proven. When he is proven, then he is given responsibility. So the deacon is the associate pastor. The associate pastor, that's the deacon, the word diaconos in the Greek. And associate pastor or the deacon is a pastor in training a pastor in training he is not some guy sitting down to tell us what to do without knowing it that's unbiblical use of words so evangelist was used for philip why was it used because the same philip in acts chapter 8 verse 5 went down to the city of samaria and preached christ he went down to the city of samaria and preach Christ unto them. That same Philip that was called the evangelist. That same Philip that was selected to be a deacon. Now we see in chapter eight, after chapter six, that that same Philip is now going to a city to do a crusade to preach Christ to that city. Now mm-mm. let me also take some time to show you some other things about Philip. So Philip preached Christ. And the whole city rejoiced at the miracles which he did. Then he also met a eunuch in that same Acts chapter 8. And he asked the eunuch, understandest thou what thou readest? And he says, how can I understand except some man shall guide me? And he began at that same scripture. And he preached Christ to the guy. And the guy received Christ. And we never saw that eunuch anymore after that encounter. So by the time you get to Acts chapter 21, why did they say Philip the evangelist? Or Philip the evangelist. Because Philip was the fellow who preached the good news in Acts chapter 8. So they called him the evangelist to connect him to the good news that he brought to the city of Samaria in Acts chapter 8. So evangelist is not the guy who does crusades. Not at all. Just like we use the word bishop today. You know, if you are in the traditional Christian setting and you hear bishop, what you think is that bishops are senior to reverends. Okay, this is a reverend minister. This is a bishop and that is a pastor. So pastors are very little men of God. Reverends are serious men of God bishops are the most serious men of God. That's the mindset we have in the church and that's unbiblical and that's unscriptural mindset. But it's very common within the church circle, okay? And very common within the Pentecostal circle and the charismatic circle because they make the bishop feel like he's some kind of big guy and he has this this collar and he has this this beautiful dress and all of the chain with everything and all that, that goes with what we think a bishop ought to be. All right, so we now say that the bishop is somebody who has many pastors under him. Then we have elders. And in some of our churches, what they call the elders council, we have the bishops council, and we have the confused council. Okay. All kinds of councils everywhere. Because the word bishop is the word episkopos. Episkopos. Now, why do we use the word bishop? In Israel, let me give you the history. In Israel, those who are over congregations or over people are called elders in Israel, traditionally. Those who are over people are called elders. And the Greek of it is the word presbyterios. Presbyterios. Where you have presbyterian. Or where you have the presbytery. Presbytery. So an elder is a person in the congregation of Israel, giving the responsibility over younger people among the Jews. So what does he do? the job of the bishop is he judges he teaches and he leads them aright he judges them he teaches them and he leads them now the responsibility of teaching them judging them and leading them aright is also called being a shepherd being a shepherd that same responsibility of judging Leading and teaching is also called being a shepherd among the Israelites. The word Ra in the Hebrew, R-A-A-H in the Hebrew, it means to watch over people. So, he is a shepherd. Now, if you're talking to the nation of Israel or you're addressing Israelites who are born again and you say elder, they know what you mean is shepherd. The Jews know that once you say elder, what you mean is shepherd. But they also know that shepherd is an agrarian term. But because the large majority of Israelites were into agriculture, in their thinking, they were farmers. So God now used the word shepherd a lot for them. Because they are familiar with shepherd and sheep. I am your shepherd. So they understood God's communication because God used human language to communicate his plan, his thoughts, to communicate his purpose to humanity. He used human everyday language. That's why you find Jesus who used the word elders or shepherds. But brother Paul comes from a Gentile nation. And brother Paul goes to a Gentile nation. So, if brother Paul says shepherd to the Greek Roman Gentile nation, it will not resonate. Because the Greek Roman nations don't use that word commonly. But it is very common among the Jews, among the Israelites. So, brother Paul now has to look for a word that can resonate in their culture. Then brother Paul finds a word episkopos. Episcopos is the word bishop. Somebody who oversees a district that has people. Somebody who oversees a district that has people. So, brother Paul replaced the word shepherd with the word bishop. Brother Paul replaced the word shepherd with the word bishop. But don't forget that the shepherd is also an elder. The shepherd is also an elder. So, elder Bishop, shepherd are one and the same. If we call you elder or we call you bishop or we call you shepherd, we are saying the same. There's no difference. Look at Acts chapter 20 verse number 17. Please pay attention. Acts chapter 20 verse number 17. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church and called the elders of the church in Ephesus. Elders of the church will be those who are spiritually matured. Those who are spiritually matured. He calls for them and then in Acts chapter 20 verse number 20 Acts of the Apostles chapter 20 verse 20. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but I've showed you and have taught you publicly, and from house to house, elders, those who are spiritually matured. Look at Acts 20:28, 20, please pay attention now, because something's going to come, come out of this for you. Acts 20, verse number 28, same context where he called elders. Take it therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock. All the flock? Huh? All the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed. Take note of the word flock. Overseers feed. To feed the church of God which he had purchased with his own blood when he uses the word flock flock is for sheep is that right sheep overseer there is the word bishop right overseer then he says feed the church to feed is to pastor the greek word paio mano mano. so in the same verse he says to them flock that means your shepherds over the which the holy ghost has made you overseers meaning your bishops to feed the church to pastor. So the same person that is called the overseer is the same person that is called the shepherd is the same person that is called the pastor. Same person. Not two different people. To pastor. Alright? The word shepherd in the Greek is the word paio men, paio men. So he uses the same words for the same set of people. He calls them elders in Acts 20, 17. He calls them overseers or bishops in Acts twenty twenty eight, And they are also pastors. So can you see? They are the same thing. Shepherd, pastor, elder, bishop. Same. No difference. First Peter chapter 5 verse 1. Let's see how brother Peter explains the same concept in scripture. First Peter chapter 5 verse 1. The elders which are among you I exhort. Who am also an elder brother peter is speaking and a witness of the sufferings of christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed so brother peter is an elder right look at verse two now verse two he now says feed the flock of god when you hear feed what are you thinking of pastor Which is among you taking the oversight? When you hear oversight, what are you thinking of? Bishop. Thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy looker, but of already mind. So, can you see? The flock is the pastor to feed the flock. Taking oversight is the bishop. Same person is called pastor. Same person is called elder. Same person is called a bishop. So the bishop, the shepherd, the elder are one and the same. Am I teaching good? Now look at first Peter chapter 5, verse 3 to 4. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3. Neither has been lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Being examples to the flock. Verse number 4 now. Pay attention. And when the chief shepherd, the word chief shepherd is the word archbishop archbishop when the chief shepherd shall appear so jesus is the archbishop jesus is the archbishop when he shall appear you shall receive a crown of glory that faded not okay verse 5 that faded not away verse 5 likewise so he goes into other instructions now so jesus is the chief shepherd which means elder bishop pastor are one and the same now over time the definitions have changed not because the writers did it for us (laughs) we have evolved the words look at acts chapter 2 verse 41 acts chapter 2 verse number 41 are you still in the building when i started what did i say you should take note of the word inherit great then they that gladly received the word were baptized and the same day they were added unto them about how many souls three thousand so three thousand people were added to the church verse 42 now these three thousand people that are added to the church in acts chapter 2 verse 42 look at what he says in verse 42 and they continued steadfastly In the apostles didache or doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Fellowship is what we do in church. Fellowship is not the baby church. I, I overheard two people discussing and one of them said, you know, I pastor a fellowship. And the other one said, well, I pastor a church. That's to say, You pastor a baby gathering. I'm pastoring the real deal. In our minds, when we have fellowship, it doesn't sound serious. When we hear church, that's the real deal. Okay, that's our traditional thinking. But what happens in the church is fellowship. So if I say I pastor a fellowship, what am I saying in essence? I pastor a church. So that it is called fellowship doesn't make it inferior to church because what happens in the church is fellowship. They continue steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread. For example, if you call a church like Power City Campus. Campus? That's not a serious deal. You can actually be in the campus but you still need to be in a church that's illiteracy communicating because once you are in a campus so what is a campus a campus is where you study where you learn so the church is the pillar and ground of the truth so what happens in church learning so when we call our church a campus what we are saying is our church is a setting where learning and a lot of learning takes place we have zero tolerance for entertainment If you want entertainment, Los Angeles is a city of global entertainment. It's called Hollywood. You can go there and get entertained. You know, you can go to Disney and get entertained. They've got a lot of entertainment. You can be so entertained till you die being entertained. But when you come to the church for God's sake, please get rid of entertainment in your mind and know that you're getting serious with with education, spiritual education. You're coming to learn. You're coming to grow. You're coming to be equipped because when the circumstances of life look at you in the face, they're not going to dance for you. They are going to give you the biggest blow you have ever had. So you need to be well equipped To receive it, take it in and take care of it so we come to church we don't come to play games we come for serious business but the church world plays a lot there's too much play in the church world too much play people come and sing for hours meaningless songs songs that when you look at them in the light of scripture they have no place in the scriptures a lot of activities too many announcements all kinds of things and the word is given 15 minutes 20 minutes of motivation make you feel nice and when you're out of the church all of that nice feeling is over the realities of life look at you in the face you can't face life that's no church that's a place center the church ought to be a place where the message the, the food of the spirit is served very seriously so people are empowered to do the works of Jesus I didn't hear somebody shout hallelujah can I have a powerful amen amen Alright, so fellowship is what we do in the church. So usually we have words that have changed meaning. Not from the author's intention, but from our own inventions. So the word evangelist is not the guy who doesn't have church. He just goes around doing crusades where sinners are. That's delusional. Same way today many people think being called to the ministry. When God calls you to the ministry. God is asking you to resign your job. God is asking you to resign from business. And they call it full-time ministry. So, you resign everything, and then you get into full-time ministry. But you forget that Jesus didn't resign everything to do ministry in his incarnation. He was still a carpenter. You also forget that the apostles who were the apostles of the lamb, the foundational apostles, all of them were business people. People like Peter, they were fishermen and Peter never shut down his fishing business because he followed Jesus. We have it on record in scripture that when Jesus died, Peter went back to his company and resumed his business since Jesus was not a serious guy in Peter's mind. So Jesus had to go and look for Peter in his fishing center and say, hey, like we were operating before, I'm not gone. I'm still here, man. You need to come back. Let's continue what we're doing before. All of those guys were all business people. They were all career people. Brother Paul was a tent maker. He was a businessman. And yet he wrote almost the whole of the New Testament. Aquila and Priscilla were all tent makers. So when God calls you to the ministry, he's not calling you to resign your job. You need your job. You need to be gainfully employed. You need to make some money for yourself. Make some money for your family so that you don't put the responsibility for your personal sustenance on the church and then you are, you are now tempted to preach all kinds of useless stuff to get money out of people's pockets. You twist scriptures and all of that and it's because you have refused to be responsible and live a responsible life in the name of being called to full time ministry. So let's look at it. There is no ministry of the Lord Jesus that is not full time. Every ministry of the Lord Jesus is a full time ministry. God doesn't call you part time. Your calling is a full calling. Your call to salvation is full. You are saved completely. All right? And then you do ministry as a major assignment. While your career, your profession are by the side to assist you to do the work of ministry. Am I teaching good? Yes. Now, I'm going to come into that either this night, because I'm going to go through a number of scriptures and open up all of these. But we just want to deal with this you know, concept so that our minds begin to think in the right direction. So, there are words that have changed meaning from the author. We find ourselves interpreting words not from the Bible, but from today's experiences. All right? Same way with speaking in tongues. Some people, their definition of speaking in tongues is a language someone speaks somewhere. So when you speak in tongues and it's not a language, they tell you you're speaking gibberish, you're speaking trash. Because they think that tongues is somebody's language somewhere. And where they get the assumption from is Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Which was eyewitness account. You don't teach doctrine on eyewitness account. Eyewitness account means this is what Dr. Luke saw. This was what he saw. And he wrote based on what he saw. So that's why brother Paul now devotes an entire chapter or two to speaking in tongues. To explain the doctrine of speaking in tongues. And you can only understand speaking in tongues when you study the doctrinal books that explain speaking in tongues. So you explain Pentecost from Corinthians. You don't explain Pentecost from Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 was what Luke saw. But then Brother Paul brings the sound teaching of tongues as derived from the Old Testament. Are we teaching good here? All right, so somebody says, but on the day of Pentecost, people spoke languages. Well, many people believe that the day of Pentecost was a United Nations Congress, where people came from all over the world for a United Nations conference. Now, but it wasn't a United Nations conference. Pentecost was a feast of the Jews that they have observed for many years before this particular Pentecost. It was an ongoing feast of the Jews. So in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, it was Jewish people that came back to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of Pentecost. And on this particular Pentecost, as they were celebrating that feast of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost came on them. Okay, And they spoke in tongues. So the question is, why did the Bible say they had them speak in their language? Well, it it, it was a gift of interpretation of tongues that was given to those who spoke the tongues so that those who were watching will hear what was interpreted. So question, what language did they speak on the day of Pentecost? Well, let me also ask you a simple question. When they finished speaking in tongues, three hours of speaking in tongues from 6 a.m. to about 9 a.m. that day, Brother Peter began to address the crowd. And when he addressed the crowd, the question will be if there was a multiplicity of languages, which language did Peter use? And if it was interpreted, we don't have that in the record that anybody interpreted Peter's speech, which will mean, therefore, that it was just one language that was in that audience. And so Peter addressed them in that particular language. So that's where Pentecost was not a United Nations Congress. It was a feast of Jewish people. And Peter spoke to them, you know, in their Jewish language, explaining to them that this is that which was spoken by prophet Joel, that it shall come to pass in the last days. I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. This is the fulfillment of that All right? And the Bible says they had them speak, which means they spoke in tongues and they interpreted. If speaking in tongues was human language, we don't need the gift of interpretation. We will look for linguists to interpret it for us we'll just look for where, okay, I'm about to speak in tongues. This sounded like German. Anybody here understand German language? Interpret. No. The reason why you pray to interpret is because the tongues is not natural language. Hence, the need for supernatural ability to interpret the supernatural language that is spoken. That's why brother Paul will say, he that speaketh in tongues, speaketh not to men, for no man understandeth. It's not within the activities of man. How be it in the spirit. So when you speak in tongues, you are speaking where? In the spirit. So to speak in the spirit, what do you do? You speak in tongues. So I want to speak in the spirit. Now what do I do? I'm already speaking in the spirit. I don't have to feel it because I'm not trying to get in the spirit. I am spirit. So I speak in the spirit naturally. That's why in the book of Mark, it says, this sign shall follow those that believe. In my name, they speak with new tongues. It's part of your DNA. All right, so, but when you do not understand, just like we have dealt with all the different concepts, evangelist, deacon, bishop, fellowship, okay, elder, and all of that, when you do not understand scriptural words from scriptural definitions, then you innovate. And when you innovate, you misinterpret. And when a scripture is misinterpreted, a truth is lost. When a scripture is misinterpreted, a truth, a major truth is lost because you cannot find truth in falsehood. So scriptures must be rightly divided to arrive at the truth the scriptures are we in the building here please this is very important now so that's not the meaning so the same way we have you know different words for different things for example let me give you one more before I get into what I really want to teach you we're just laying foundations right the Bible says love not the world neither the things that are in the world If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Love not the world, love not the world. But for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son. But God is saying, you love not the world, but God is loving the world. Sounds like a contradiction. And the scripture says, friendship with the world is enmity with God. A friend of the world is an enemy of God. Then he says, go into the world and preach. How do I preach to a people who are not my friends? It sounds like another contradiction. That's why people who do not understand the text of scripture will tell you that the Bible cannot be the word of God because it is full of contradictions. Well, the seeming contradictions only exist in your mind. It doesn't exist in the scriptures. There is a perfect harmony to everything written in the scriptures. So I now had to do my study and I found out that there are two Greek words for the word world. The first one is the word cosmos. The cosmos the second Greek word is the word aeons. The cosmos and the aeons. The cosmos and the aeons. Now, the cosmos is the cosmopolitan where you have human beings. And the aeons is a way of thinking. A way of thinking. So when he says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world in the original is love not the aeons. Neither the things that are in the cosmos love not the aeons okay so you love not the world love not their way of thinking for god so loved the cosmos for god so loved the cosmos the world where human beings are that he gave his only begotten son friendship with the aeons their way of thinking is enmity with god go into the cosmos and preach the gospel to every creature. There's no contradiction. It just requires simple explanation which comes by exegesis. The ability to allow the author of the book explain to you what he intended to communicate when he said what he said, you know, in the scriptures. Can I have a powerful amen? Now, let's get into what I'm doing. The book of of Ephesians again, I tell you, man, we're going to have some time here. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16 to 18. Take note of the word inheritance. Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 16. We're going to read to verse 18. Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance were in the saints. The riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. The word inheritance, usually when we say inheritance, the context of the word must be the Bible word during the teaching ministry of jesus in the four gospels there was no book of romans there was no matthew mark luke and john there were no books like that there was no book of acts during the teaching ministry of jesus for three and a half years there was no book of ephesians neither was there a book of galatians neither was there a book of romans all he had was genesis to malachi Luke chapter 24 verse 25, he said unto them, O fool's slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory, verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets. He expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In verse 44 he said to them these are the words which I speak unto you while I was yet with you that all these things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Next verse then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. So when they say the scriptures they are referring to Genesis to Malachi genesis to malachi is what is called the scriptures second timothy 315 paul says to timothy all scripture that from a child you have known the holy scriptures you've known genesis to malachi which are able to make thee wise so genesis to malachi has a mission to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is where in christ jesus again brother paul's reference of scriptures are the old testament Now, please listen carefully. Nobody preached and nobody taught from the epistles. All of them taught from the scriptures of the prophets. None of them, not Jesus, he never taught the epistles. Paul never taught from the epistles. They all taught from the scriptures of the prophets. Genesis to Malachi. Those were the notes available to Jesus in the incarnation and available to the apostles after his resurrection. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 2 and 4. Romans chapter 1, verse 2 and 4. Pay attention to this. Romans chapter 1, which he had promised afore by his prophets where in the holy scriptures. In the holy scriptures. And declared to be the son of God with power. No, verse 3, verse 3. Concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to to the flesh. Look at Matthew chapter 5 verse 17. All of them use the scriptures. Those were their teaching notes. Matthew 5 17. Think not Jesus speaking now that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. So the ministry of Jesus was to fulfill the law and the prophets the law and the prophets. Look at the next verse, verse 18. For verily I say unto you till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. While we use the Old and New Testament today, in Jesus' time, they use the law and the prophets or they use Moses and the prophets, beginning at Moses and all the prophets. So, what they had was called the scriptures or the law and the prophets. And that's the only place where you will find anyone in the book of Acts referring to the book of Romans or Ephesians. Nobody in the book of Acts. All they were referring to was to the scriptures of the prophets or the Old Testament. You know, look at this. If I write a book today and then I while writing I make statements like I visited Los Angeles and my first night in Los Angeles it rained cat and dogs. Oh, cat and dogs all over the place. In another hundred years from today if somebody is reading my book and cat and dog that that phrase is no more in use. When he reads cat and dogs in his mind He will think maybe animal cats and animal dogs were falling from the sky. It will take somebody who is here today then to say no. When we say cat and dogs back in the days, what we meant was the rain was heavy. He will have to interpret what I said. Even though what I said was English, but it had a meaning so when scriptures were written words were used that are not the same words in our english meaning today that's the reason why scriptures must be interpreted okay scriptures genesis to malachi must be interpreted if scriptures are not interpreted you will never know the truth of scripture it is the interpretation of the scripture that makes the word come alive that communicates the intent the thoughts and the plan of god to a believer or to anyone listening to the scriptures so it was not possible for jesus to use the book of romans because the book of romans was not in existence at this time so the context of what he said will be the context of the old testament so when you see words of scripture in the four gospels you must look for the meaning of it in the old testament Anytime you are reading anything in the four Gospels, the meaning of what you are reading will be in the Old Testament. It will not be in your English dictionary. It won't be in your English dictionary. It will be in the Old Testament. Even Brother Paul taught from the Old Testament. So, when you have the word inheritance, that phrase, inheritance, used a couple of times. For example, Ephesians 1.18. Look at it. Pay attention. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Please, I beg you, pay attention. And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance were in the saints. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 14. Ephesians chapter 1 verse number 14. The use of the word inheritance. Which is the earnest of our inheritance. Until the redemption of the purchased possession. Unto the praise of his glory. Colossians chapter 1 verse 12 and 13. Colossians 1 and 13. Giving thanks unto the father. Which had made us meet. To be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Who hath delivered us. From the power of darkness and have translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. He has made us meet to be partakers of what the inheritance. Acts 20:32. Brother Paul, now speaking to the church at Ephesus, he said to them, Brethren, I commend you unto God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. So usually, because of how we hear the word inheritance, when someone comes to you and says, you have an inheritance, you assume the inheritance is money or physical stuff. That's nothing bad with thinking that your inheritance is money or physical stuff. But if you go to the Old Testament and you see the word inheritance, there are two words. The first word is cleronomous. Kleronomos, and the second word is Kleronomai Kleronomai Kleronomos Kleronomai it's taken from just a word it means to give you a part to give you a part or to give you a portion to give you a portion now portion usually in the Old Testament is referring to a land a land A portion, a part, a land. Portion is land in the Old Testament. So now, God called Abraham to inherit a land. He showed Abraham a land. He called him to show him a land. Genesis 12 verse 1. Let's begin this journey. Genesis chapter 12 verse number 1. Genesis 12. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show you unto a land. So I'm repeating myself now. That land and inheritance are synonymous words. Let's back up a little bit again. Genesis 12:1 and 2. Now the Lord has said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Next verse. And I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee. And make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. Pause. How many of you will follow a property developer to a land, he will show you. Those of you that are into properties. So, you have this property developer who says, there's a land I want you to buy. But come with me, I will show you. So, which means, the land is not somewhere physical. I can only show you Where the possibility of this land exists. You will have to believe me and trust me and give me your money. But I will show you where this land exists. I'm not going to take you there. But I will just show you. Nobody will do that. Nobody does that. Okay. Now, to a land I will show you. That when we get there, I will show you the land. Forgot to say, I will show you, which means we will see the land by revelation. I will show, which means we will see the land by revelation. Now, remember yesterday, I told you, take note of the word what? Revelation. If it was in revelation, he would describe the place. He will say, this is where the land is. This is how we get there. This is the position. This is the landmarks around the land. No, but this one, I will show you. And consistently in Genesis, that land always appeared to Abraham in a vision. That land always appeared to Abraham in a vision. Look at Genesis chapter 13, verse number 14. All right, Genesis 13, 14. And the Lord said unto Abraham, after that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art. Northward, southward, eastward, westward, next verse, for all the land which thou seest. Hey, you can't be in your room, and lift up your eyes, and see the whole of Los Angeles. Northward, westward, eastward, southward. You cannot. So for God to be saying to Abraham, lift up your eyes, see this revelation. See through the eyes of your spirit because in the spirit you can see southward, westward, eastward, northward. All, all, the land which thou seest I will show you. But the one you see. To a land I will show you. Now all the land that you see. Not all the land that I show you. I'm going to show you everything. But you will only have what you are able to see. All the land which thou seest. To thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. Stay with me. All the land which thou seest, lift up your eyes from where thou art. Now, look at verse 16 and 17 of the same chapter. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth. Wow. So that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Verse 17. Whoa, arise. <laughs> Mengo Lord of Russia, arise, walk through the land, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. So now you arise and walk all over Los Angeles, westward, southward, eastward, northward. It can be physical. This is revelation teaching good. This is revelation and we're going somewhere with this. This is revelation knowledge. Now so the Lord was consistently or the land was consistently in a revelation. Now notice that there are two things God interchangeably used when talking to Abraham. He talks about a place and he talks about a people. A place and a people. So, Abraham's inheritance was never property. Never. He already had property. He moved from his father's house with property. In case you didn't know, Abraham didn't just wake up and say, let's go. Look at the Genesis chapter 12 verse 5. Let me show you quickly. Genesis chapter 12 verse number 5. And Abraham took Sarai, his wife, after the Lord, and said, get out of your father's house to a land. I will show you. Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance. So they had substance. These were not broke guys. These guys had substance. He didn't just stand up and tell his wife, let's go. No, they took all their substance that they had gathered and the souls. So they had human beings. And they had wealth. And they took all of that to go to the land that they will be shown. The blessing of Abraham is not jets and aircrafts and cars and houses. That's not the blessing. This guy already had substance. And he had human beings. Abraham was wealthy. He wasn't broke. A man that had 300 trained servants in his house. Trained, skilled, not unskilled. And when you have 300 skilled, the unskilled will be more in number. In his house. In his house. Maybe you have a huge staff in your house. 10, 12. That's a lot. To do what? Clean your shoes. Clean your bathroom. Cook for you. Wash your car. Drive you. Attend to you. Go on errands. There are too many. Abraham had 300 in his house. Not in his city. In his house. And if they were men, they had wives and children. In his house. That's not a little guy. (laughs) That's not some broke guy. (laughs) Because when they took Lot, he took his 300 trained servants and went after and recovered Lot. He wasn't broke. So the blessing that God gave Abraham was not more money, more houses and more cars. Mm-mm. So when we sing Abraham's blessings are mine, don't be thinking of cars and houses. We'll find out. So he took substance, he took souls to go to where God was going to show him. Does it make sense? It doesn't make sense naturally. You are already established. You've got souls. You've got wealth. And you've got everything. And somebody comes to say to you, come with me to a place I will show you. I've not even shown you. So I relocate you to a place you don't know where you're going. It doesn't make sense. That can be natural communication. Am I communicating at all? That can be natural communication to a land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I'm already great. 300 servants in my house trained and I have many more untrained. He's rich in cattle, in silver, in gold. The guy is not broke. He's not looking for anything. That's why the greatest disservice to the body of Christ is the materialistic gospel. The gospel of give and get, give and get, give and get is a disservice to the gospel. We just had some fellowship with Pastor Fuller this morning. Pastor Folla pastors our church in Croydon. And he was saying to me, You know, uh, uh, Dr. Damina, before I met you, I was not going to church. I wasn't interested in going to church because all church offered me were things I didn't need. They said, if I come, I will be rich. I was already okay with my money. Or if I come, I will have breakthrough. I didn't need their breakthrough. If I come, I'll have a car. I didn't need their car. If I come, I will have a house. I didn't need any of that. So there was no need to go there because the things they offered were not the things I was looking for. And that's the story of many churches. You come to God for things, (laughs) you're going to the wrong person for the wrong stuff. The richest people on the planet don't even know your God and they don't care about him. So Abraham's blessings cannot be anything material. It cannot be anything financial. That's why it's going to be shown. It's going to be shown. They had sons. So Abraham went with property. He went with people. Abraham was called from wealth. He wasn't called to be wealthy. He was called from wealth. So God gave Abraham inheritance. Again, inheritance means something to be part of. You're going to be part of something. That's the word inheritance. Now pay attention. When you inherit, it means if someone gives you an inheritance, it belongs to him. So he now says... Come and be part of what I own. Come and be a part of something. What belongs to someone, he gives you to be a part of. I have told you, inheritance is come and be a part or come and take part of it. What is God's own in the earth? What does God own in the earth? What belongs to God? What belongs to God? The whole earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. So the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof is explained by the people that dwell therein. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof is explained by the people that dwell therein so what does God own God owns the earth the whole earth what does God intends for the earth to be God intends for the earth to be his house Now, if you didn't listen to the teachings I had in London, I will advise you to go check them on my Facebook page because that will fill in the gaps of some things I'm saying that you may not have had a background of. And I won't have the time to go through that, but they are free. They are available on my page. You can go check them out. Now, so God wants the earth to be his house. How do we know that God wants the earth to be his house? Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Bereshit Elohim Barat. et Shamaim's letter areth. In the beginning. God created. So that God creating the heavens and the earth was God's intent to make the heavens and the earth his house. God's intent to make the heavens and the earth his house his own house, his abode where he lives. Which means therefore that the earth belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So, the book of Genesis is the foundation of God's building. The book of Genesis is the foundation of God's building project is the foundation. Genesis gives us the blueprint of what God intends to build which we call the plan or the purpose or the will. Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. So, God has a building. That's the plan. The question now will be, what is God building? The earth is his house but it is not yet his home. The earth is God's house, but it is not yet his home. He has made the earth his house, but it is not yet his home. So, if he wants to give you a part, what will he give you a part of? To be a part of his home. The earth is his house, but it is not yet his home. So, if God is giving you a part, which is an inheritance, the inheritance will be for you not to be a part of the house, but to be a part of the home. Teaching good? Stay with me. To be a part of his home. And it's his house or home. His home, is it things or people? People. People. People in the place. So God calls Abraham to inherit what he has. What does God have? He has the earth as his dwelling place. The earth is God's dwelling place. That's why you will find that God interchangeably speaks to Abraham about land and about seed. About land and and about people. Land, seed, land, people. He is to be a part of what God is doing. Now, don't think inheritance is what you get from somebody when he is dead. That's English. That's not Bible. In, in Bible language, the word inheritance means to be a partaker of something or to be a part of something or to be given a part of something. So, Abraham had wealth. Right? Now, Look at Romans chapter 4 verse 12. Please I beg you pay attention. Romans chapter 4 verse 12. We are dealing with the call of God. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only. But who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham. Which he had been yet uncircumcised. He had this faith. Being yet uncircumcised, watch the next verse, 13, for the promise, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world, that Abraham should own the world, was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law but Abraham was going to own the world through the righteousness of faith. That God was going to give Abraham the inheritance not by qualification. That Abraham will do nothing to be qualified. But faith in what God had promised will make him righteous and a part of what God is building. Abraham is going to be a part of what God is building. Now, hold that somewhere. Let me take you somewhere else. Now, remember, how do I help this? How do I help this? The end of the world. The end of the world. You will never understand the end of the world till you understand the foundation of the world. God promised eternal life from the foundation of the world. God promised eternal life. From the foundation of the world. So what will be the end of the world? The end of the world will not be the last day of the world. So, quickly, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 26. If you get back to those teachings I did in London, all that full exegesis is there. Hebrews 9 26, put it up for me. For then pay attention, must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once and in the end of the world, when is the end of the world, had he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So when is the end of the world? When Jesus died. The death of Jesus was the end of the world. What was the foundation of the world when God promised that Jesus was going to die? What is the end when Jesus died? So the end means the fulfillment of God's promise. Are we we together here? The end is the fulfillment of God's promise in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, the teachings I did in London, I did a lot of exigences on Matthew 24 and I took time to deal with that. If you get those teachings, they are free on my Facebook page. You can listen to them this afternoon before we come for the evening session today. Now, so, remember, foundation and end, just like I explained. So, if Abraham is the heir or a part of the world, if Abraham is the heir or a part of the world. Which world? Physical world or the temple of God? What is Genesis 1? God's building project. What is God's building project? The physical world or the temple? temple. Very good. So, God's project is the temple. Psalm 24 verse 1. Psalms 24 verse 1 Please stay with me Psalms 24 verse number 1 The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world and they that dwell therein the world the world Abraham is the heir of the world the world and they that dwell therein Has that happened Has this happened Hmm? has everybody in the world received the salvation plan of God? Has everybody in the world become the temple of God? So that scripture has not happened. So, when God gave you an inheritance, it was God calling you to be a part of of fulfilling that scripture in making the whole earth his home to make the whole earth his home because he has a house but it has not yet become a home because the house is without form void and darkness and god said the preaching of the gospel let there be light The preaching of the gospel. So to turn the house into a home will require the preaching of the gospel. It is the preaching of the gospel that will cause men to become the home that God began to build from the foundation of the world which the death of Christ has made available. I'm teaching good. Now stay with me. Now that is the eventual plan. That is what we call the end of the world. So, if Abraham is called to be an heir of the world, is it of a particular nation or when the world is filled with his glory? The earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the world as the water covers the sea. How is that going to happen? Through the preaching of the gospel. We move into cities. We move into nations. We preach the gospel. We get people saved and everyone who gets saved becomes a tabernacle of his glory. The more people get saved, the more the earth is becoming the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. That's a eventual plan, and that plan is on course, and you are called to inherit that plan, to be a part of that plan of turning the earth from a house to God's home. Teaching good here. Stay with me. Now, that's exactly what God was saying to Abraham. That's exactly what God was giving to Abraham. Oh my goodness. So, every time God is showing him that land, God is showing Abraham the end of the world. He kept showing him the end of the world. He says, no one shall be able to number your children. They shall be like the stand. They shall be like the stars. We can't number them. That is, the earth people will be saved in numbers that cannot be numbered. God's home. That is the end. Now, there's a mind renewal very very much required. Now, the land he kept showing Abraham is the end. So, Abraham kept seeing the end. The end is that no man shall be able to number number thee. So, Abraham is called to be part of what? The end of the world. Abraham is called by God. What is the end of the world? when the whole earth is filled with god's glory what was the beginning what was the beginning be fruitful multiply replenish the earth and subdue it you can't ask for something that is created new to be replenished You don't replenish what is new. Be fruitful. That's not a scripture for marriage. Marry your wife. Be fruitful. Mm -mm. Multiply. Mm -mm. How many can you multiply? (laughs) It was the plan. God kept showing Abraham the end. So the inheritance of Abraham is to have a part in the end of the world. Question, what is the end of the world again? When God finishes his home. So, inheritance is the land Abraham was called into. Be a part of what God is doing. That's why Paul says, Inheritance among them who are sanctified. So, there's an inheritance after sanctification. Now you're saved. Now you're sanctified. You have a part. An inheritance. The call of God. The of god the plan of god the will of god the inheritance among the sanctified you can't partake in that inheritance until you are sanctified there's a call that god has given to us and that's what i was teaching last night is a corporate calling is a corporate calling. We have a corporate calling. We have one call to one mission, to one mandate, as the body of Christ is one, and we all have the same spirit. Every one of you is called. Every one of you in this building, you are called with that same calling that God gave to Abraham. Now, that was what Paul was saying In Acts 26, 18. Put it up for me. Acts chapter 26, verse number 18. Glory to God. Somebody get him blessed. Shout glory. Glory. Acts chapter 26, verse number 18. Where Paul was listing out his mission mandate. To open their eyes. To open their
1: eyes.
0: And to turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan unto God. That they may receive what? Forgiveness of sin. Then, as a result of being forgiven, what will they receive? Inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. What is that inheritance? To be a part of the end of the world, which is God's home. To be a part of building that home. To be a part of building the home. The home of God. That's very important. Colossians 1 12. Inheritance of the saints in light. So as a saint in light, you are called to be part of building God's home. Inheritance is specific. It refers to believers. It's specific. It's not ambiguous. So when you are called to inherit, you are now a part of the saints. That is the inheritance. You have become a part. You are part of God's world. You are part of God's household that is the inheritance so the inheritance is not physical acquisition because Abraham already had that that inheritance refers to God's ultimate plan for the earth ultimate plan so what was that plan brother David articulated is it acts I mean Psalms chapter 2 verse 7 put it up for me Acts of the Apostles chapter 2 verse number 7 are you still in the building are you tired good 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 i will declare the decree the lord hath said unto me thou art my son this day have i begotten thee incarnation or resurrection resurrection now after resurrection look at the next verse now whoa look at the next verse ask of me and i shall give thee the hidden what are you going to inherit Properties, houses, or people? people? People. So what is the inheritance you have been called to inherit? People. How do you inherit them? By the preaching of the gospel. Are you getting this now? Ask of me and I shall give thee the hidden for thine inheritance. And the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Ah, uh, keep that somewhere because it will come in handy for thy possession. Oh, for thy possession. He then, inheritance. Uttermost part of the earth for thy possession. So, anybody who says, receive your inheritance, he's deceiving you. Take it. Receive. Receive your inheritance. This week, you will walk in your inheritance. He's lying to you. The inheritance is not houses and property and breakthroughs and jobs and contracts. No. The inheritance is a call you have already received to be a part of building God's home which is the end of the world. And every child of God has been called into it. Among them that are sanctified. Teaching good this morning. Among them that are sanctified. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8 You shall be witnesses unto me Where? In Jerusalem Uttermost parts of the earth Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth Inherit the earth Inherit the earth God's inheritance Uttermost part of the earth Is end of the earth for your possession So which means the inheritance Is number one What you belong to at salvation that's the inheritance. You now are a part of the saints. You now are a part of the light. You now are a path of the sanctified. You're not going to be sanctified. You are already sanctified by faith in what Christ has done. Now, as a result of being a part of that inheritance, that inheritance now becomes your responsibility to your world. You are saved to serve your world with God's salvation plan. You are not just saved to have a nice time in church. No, that's far from it. You are saved for a mission. That's why every child of God is called. There's no no child of God that is not called. Every child, except you're not born again. There's a calling of God on your inside. The message that saves you now becomes your mission to save others. Saved to serve God's purpose to my world. Saved to serve God's purpose to my generation. The uttermost part of the earth. So when Jesus says all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Is that the inheritance? Huh? Heaven and earth? Yeah? Go ye therefore and make disciples. Go and turn men into students. Go and make men learners of the things that I have commanded. Teaching them to observe. And lo... I am with you till the end of the world. What is the end of the world? When the earth becomes God's home. Is that the inheritance? Yes. So when we go to preach the gospel, we are walking in his inheritance. That is why the Old Testament kept using the word inheritance as land. Land is where people are. No one has ever been given the desert. Land is where people are. Desert is the exact opposite of the inheritance. Desert is for those that are cast out of God's inheritance. They are not saved. They rejected the gospel. So where people are is the inheritance, the land. Now watch this. The riches of the glory of his inheritance were in the saints so every citizen every one of you sitting on the sound of my voice all the saints that are connected online and around the world this is this is god's inheritance we are god's inheritance all of us here we are part of what god God is doing on the earth today. Turning the house into his home. Oh glory to God. Getting men saved everywhere, anywhere and in all places. Turning the desert into the house, the home of God. Pulling men out of darkness into light. Building God tabernacles. Tabernacles all over. Know ye not that your body is the temple? Turning men into temples where the glory of God dwells. And he says, I will fill this house with glory. I will fill this house with glory. I will fill this house with glory. And the glory of this latter house shall be greater. Than the glory of Solomon's temple. And shall be greater than the glory of Moses' temple. This is the temple of his glory. And my house shall be called a house of prayer. You are a house of prayer. And a house of his glory. Can somebody shout I hear you. You are that house. Listen, God has no other method of turning the the whole earth to his home if you do not take a part in this inheritance. God has no other way. God's best, amen, imperfect. God has given a perfect mandate to imperfect men. And he is not scared. He has faith in this imperfect man though they may make mistakes, though they may stumble, though they may fall but who are you to judge another man's servants? If he falls, he falls to the one who called him and the one who called him is able to make him stand. God! God God has faith in you and he has faith in the work he has done in your heart. He believes you will. Even if you don't believe, God's faith is enough to get you going no longer I that lives but Christ that lives in me the life that I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the son of God not my faith his faith is at work in me being confident of this very thing that he that has started this good work in you shall be
1: faithful he started it he will finish it somebody shout I hear you
0: glory to God and god is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always have in all sufficiency will abound unto every good work glory to, glory to god glory to god glory to god you are his inheritance you are his inheritance you are his inheritance You are his inheritance. So for him to say, to show Abraham the land. That's why Abraham kept receiving the revelation of the land. He kept seeing land. Because where there is land, there are people. Land. Or he kept seeing the inheritance. Because God showed to Abraham the end of the world. It's an inheritance that had to be seen by revelation. The Christian walk is a supernatural walk. The Christian walk is a supernatural walk. You have to see it by revelation. Yeah. The Christian walk is a supernatural walk. You have to see it by revelation. He saw it. Yeah. In Genesis chapter 15, Abraham got in the flesh like we do sometimes. Oh God, how can you use me? Don't you know my past? God said, I saw your past before you were created and I went beyond your past to your present and called you. How do you beat that? I saw the end from the beginning and I saw the beginning from the end and I saw everything that you were going to do And I went beyond your shortcomings and I gave you my calling irrespective of you and in spite of you because I have faith in what Christ will do who will be in you. God has faith in what Christ will do and Christ in you the hope of glory. So you are the house of his glory you are a custodian of God's glory so that's why we walk by faith by faith i may not have all that i need right now but i know that in me is all that i need so as i grow in revelation the eyes of my understanding is being enlightened to discover the riches of the glory on my inside, the resources that I require, they are all in me. God is not going to add anything else to you after salvation. Nothing. God gives you nothing after salvation. Once you are saved, God is done with you. Once you are saved, God is done with you for eternity salvation is all of god and all of his resources and all of his power and everything that makes him god he puts on your inside now he allows you to grow by revelation and discover the things inside and when you discover them you trigger their operation. That the communication of your faith will become effectual. How? By the acknowledging of every good thing that is where in you, because you are where in Christ. God adds nothing to you anymore after salvation. That's why salvation is God's perfect work. <laughs> salvation is God's perfect work. He doesn't add
1: anything else.
0: You only grow in the knowledge of what He has done the works were finished from the foundation of the world and now at the end of the world he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself so both he that sanctified and they that are sanctified are all of one for which cause he's not ashamed to call them brethren he has faith in his work people call you imperfect he calls you holy You call yourself weak, he calls you strong. You call yourself finished, he calls you beginning. You're not finished. You know the guy Gideon? Oh, Jesus. You know the guy Gideon? I tell you, we have a lot to unpack. Today, we will unpack them. You know that guy Gideon? The angel of the Lord just appeared to Gideon and said, Hey, Gideon, thou mighty man of Velo, the Lord is with you. Gideon said, no the lord can be with me i'm the smallest from a small family my family is the smallest in my village and i'm the smallest in my family how can you say the lord is with me i'm not able to do anything that god is asking me to do i don't have the resources i don't have the ability i don't have what it takes the angel did not answer him you know what the angel did the angel continued in his statement go in this your might. You see weakness, I see might. You see inabilities, I see abilities. You see powerlessness, I see power. So, while you're complaining, I am telling you in your complaint, go in this your might. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You say, I cannot speak. God says, no, you've already finished speaking. Go. In this your mind, Oh, labo Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lift your right hand and say, I am called by God. I have all of his resources. I will fulfill my calling. In Jesus' name. I didn't hear a powerful amen. You go in this your might. Abraham, the heir of the world. In chapter 15, Abraham began to doubt. Remember the call began in chapter 12. How many of you remember that? In chapter 12. In chapter 13, Abraham made a mistake. But in spite of his mistake, God showed him everything including the mistake. You know the mistake? Get out of your father's house to a land I will show you. He took Lot. Get out of your people. Get out of your kindred. Take nobody. Go. He took Lot. Lot became a lot in his life. There was strife. They split it. And he said to Lot, let's not have strife, brother. When you are in the will of God and in the plan of God, you don't entertain strife. Strife is a product of insecurity. When you come to a place of revelation knowledge, you can't afford identity crisis. Because there's no more insecurities. You're secured in God's plan. You're secured in your identity in Christ. Your identity is not based on who you are and what you have. No, it's based on what Christ has done. So you're secured in him. Complete in him. The head of all principalities and power. So in that security you have no strife. Lot there's no need to fight, the land is big make your choice, Lot selected the best and Abraham went to God God said lift up your eyes whatever you can see including Lot and the land, all of them are yours all of them are yours that was Abraham's first mistake, then the second mistake of Abraham was in chapter 15, he said oh God what will you give me seeing I go childless I have money, I have wealth, I, have wealth I don't have a child. And you keep telling me, I have a child. My wife is dead in a womb and I am dead in my body. How are we going to produce a child? I'm growing old. Oh God. Oh God. Let Eleazar, my houseboy, live so he can inherit. Let's not waste time. Let's transfer everything you are planning on my houseboy. God said no the plan Abraham the plan before you were born cannot be altered by your temporal circumstances it's not about Eleazar there's Isaac in the pipeline and Isaac is not going to come until you die and your wife is dead when two of you are unable to Isaac will come as a child of grace It's not going to come as a function of works. Your efforts will not be needed in the appearance of Isaac because Isaac is my plan and I don't need you to help me to carry out what I have planned. Isaac is my plan. God, Ishmael, mm -mm, Isaac. Isaac. Isaac isaac when you understand this you will leave this conference getting people saved and raising disciples you will now realize the mission for which you were created oh sure you have jobs your businesses you make money but that is not why you were created you need all of that to live in this planet but beyond this planet there's an eternal plan And that's what God was calling Abraham to fulfill. That's why Abraham had everything before God called him. Because God was not calling him to give him things. God was calling him to preach the gospel. Abraham was called to preach. It's the same calling you have that was given to Abraham. I'm going to show you tonight. Same. One bandit. Corporate mission. Corporate assignment. One spirit. One body. Same. The call of God for your life was not given when you got born again. It was there before you were born again. That's why he said to Jeremiah, while you are still in your mother's womb, I knew thee, and I ordained thee, a prophet. It's not after you are born. It's not when you got born again. While you are still far from God, the calling was there. As you were misbehaving with Satan, the calling was on your life. Waiting for you to be saved so you can answer the call. I knew thee, I ordained thee a prophet to the nations. See, Jeremiah, I have set you over nations and over kingdoms to pull down, to root out, to overthrow, to destroy, to build and to plant. What do you see? I see this. God say you have well seen. I will hasten my word to perform. Now that you have seen what I have said about you, I will make it come to pass. Revelation knowledge. Revelation knowledge. From where you are. Look. See. See souls getting saved through you. See strong local churches. Built through you. See men coming into the full realization. Of why they were created. Because of you. See people waking up to the purpose of God. For their lives. Because of you. One of my sons in ministry, a pastor who's been in ministry for quite a number of years, not knowing the gospel or preaching the gospel, he didn't know. Encountered my teaching and understood the gospel. And then said to me, you've given me a reason to live. While he was still telling me now that he has understood the gospel, he has a reason to live. He was diagnosed of of kidney, kidney situation. So they told him his kidney is failing. And he needed a kidney transplant. Before he could say ABC, his case was critical. They rushed him to the hospital. And they started dialysis on him. And his wife sent for me. I flew to Lagos, which is about an hour flight from my city, to go visit him in the hospital. I got to the hospital, and his situation was caquetic. His situation was moribund, man. Because he was in a state where he didn't even recognize me and blood was spilling out of him as the dialysis was blood all over his he, he didn't look like he will ever leave i stood over him with his wife and i prayed in the spirit and i told god father remember this guy has just come into the realization of his calling and he will not leave until he fulfills that which your faith spoke concerning him body be healed After a few days, he started gaining consciousness. I went back to visit him. While lying down in that state, he looked at me. He said, Papa, I told you. Now I know why I was born. I won't die. I'm going to get out of this place. There are people waiting to hear me preach the gospel. And there are churches I'm going to plant. You've given me a reason Live. he said look if i didn't know this gospel i would have died on this bed but now that i know it i'm not gonna die the guy is out of that hospital he's already planting churches he's preaching this gospel everywhere no you don't die when you discover the reason why you were created you now go ahead and fulfill that reason i'm teaching here today yeah you are god's project on course You are God's mission. God's mission on the earth. You are part of it. There's a mandate of God on your life. You were not just born to get a job, make some money, and and that's it. No! These things we have in this earth, they will be burned. The earth and the heavens will be burned with fathened heat. There's nothing on this earth that is eternal. It's all temporal. The only thing that has eternal value are souls that are turned into God's home. That's what God rewards you for. Nothing transient is worth it. Nothing transient is worth it. Only eternity is worth it. The only thing that will last is what we do for God. Nothing else. Nothing else. If you walk in the banks, those banks will pack up. If you're working companies, those companies are going to fold up. They they, they will even forget that such companies existed. The only thing that will last is what you do for God. That mandate of God that you fulfill in the advancement of his cause to be a part of the inheritance of the saints in light, turning the house into a home, which is the end of the world. Teaching good, partakers of his inheritance among the sanctified now so Abraham began to stagger God says no 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 Abraham look at the stars look at the sun count Abraham said I can count it so shall your seed be forget forget this boy I have big plans for you Abraham Genesis 17 God reminded Abraham again every time God is talking about inheritance God is talking about land and God is talking about people His grandson Jacob (laughs) is returning from his brother Esau. Jacob is running. Esau is coming after Jacob. Walk and grace. Esau walks. Jacob grace. Jacob is running. Esau is chasing Jacob. Remember what triggered it was Jacob. Jacob's mother. The mother said hey Jacob your father is about to give to your brother what made him who he was go and take it from your brother he said daddy will give me let your sin be on me you know why God has spoken to Jacob's mother that there are two nations and the younger I mean the elder will serve the younger so God already said my selection is the younger why? Because it's not by works, it's by grace. By works will be the firstborn. By grace will be the second born. It's not Cain, it's Abel. Okay? It's not Ishmael, it's Isaac. Okay? It's not Esau, it's Jacob. Are we together here? Yeah? That the purpose of election might stand. <laughs> yeah. What's going on here? <laughs> so Jacob is running because his mother told him God told me that your brother will serve you so Jacob now takes the bath right and he's running and tonight we'll deal with the bath right. he's running and he's running and his elder brother is coming after him for the first time he's tired he falls down to sleep and his eyes are open he sees a ladder with angels going up and down and God is sitting at the top of it go. Jacob stands up and says, hey, God has been here and I knew it not. This is the gate of heaven, the house of God. What Jacob is saying is God is showing me that I'm a part of building his house which is the gate of heaven. I'm a part of the call. I'm a part of the ministry. I am called to preach the gospel. I'm called to preach the gospel. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, family. One spirit, one body, one calling. One spirit, family. I bow my knees unto the father of our lord jesus christ of whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named consistency of god's project the preaching of the gospel that's been the plan from genesis one that's been god's plan that's been the purpose. When people tell you, look for your purpose, you can't look for it. You can only discover it. And it's discovered in Christ. And that purpose is nothing natural. It's the preaching of the gospel. That's your purpose. That's the will of God for your life. That's the plan of God. To be a part of his inheritance. To be a part of his plan. To be a part of his will. The will of God. So, this guy wakes up by the name Jacob. Which means, there is no piece of property you can be on and everyone will be the heir. The only piece of property that has everyone is the earth. So when Jacob got that vision, he said, wow, this must be the house of God. Or we can call it the household of God. Jacob saw God's household. So the inheritance was never material things, it was never physical things. Let me add this the first time God will bless man. Did you notice that the first blessing of man was the great commission? <laughs> the first time God will bless man, the blessing was the great commission. Genesis 1 27 28. And God blessed them. And God said, fruitful. Multiply. Replenish the earth. Subdue it and have dominion. That's the preaching of the gospel. That's the preaching of the gospel. To subdue the earth means to fill the earth with temples of God's glory. Be fruitful means evangelize. Get people saved. That's what he meant. Because that's the Genesis project. God's Genesis project was God's plan of turning the house to a home through the instrument of the preaching of the gospel. Let me begin to wrap up. Are you blessed this morning? Okay. So the foundation of the world is what you are reading in Genesis 1, 26 to 28. He speaks the end from the beginning. The eventuality of what is said to Adam. 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 Listen. Adam in Genesis 1 is not Adam and Eve. (laughs) Adam and Eve is Genesis 2. Adam in Genesis 1 is not Adam and Eve. Adam in Genesis 1 is humanity. Humanity. That's why male and female created them. Humanity. And God blessed them. Humanity. Okay? Adam and Eve is in Genesis 2. Adam, Genesis 1, is humanity. Or humankind. There's no specific person in chapter 1. It's Adam, humankind. Chapter 2, We now have specific individuals, Adam and Eve. So, humankind, we are called in his image and likeness. God created man in his image and likeness. And the job is to fill the earth. The end of the world is why Jesus came. The end of the world is not what Abraham saw. So, the inheritance is not land. But it has land because people live in the earth So the writer of Hebrews said, God called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to inherit something. And he showed them a land, a city whose builder and maker was God. The word city is a Greek word police, P-O-L-I-S. A city whose builder and maker is God. And what was Abraham seeing? He was seeing a people. So what God showed Abraham was the end. That's why he called himself a stranger and a pilgrim in that present world. That is not the end. A pilgrim is somebody who is on a journey. Abraham is on a journey and he is still on a journey. All the saints are on that journey. You and I are on that journey. Till we get to the end. When the earth is filled With the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. As the water covers the sea. So all of us are never going to rest. That's why we are pilgrims. We will not rest. Until the job is done. We will not relax. We will not go on vacation. All hands on deck. We are not of there that draw back. We are of there that press forward. To the saving of the soul. We stay in this mandate. Until the earth is filled. With the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. As a water covers a sea. We preach in and out of season. We are not tired. We are consistent. We are constant. We are unmovable. We are not weary. We are bound in the work of the Lord. We stay focused. Until everyone comes to the knowledge of the truth. Hallelujah. hallelujah. I said Hallelujah. hallelujah. That's the mandate given to us. Until the job is done. And all the saints of God who have gone to glory have not rested yet. They are cheering us on. They are saying the end is still far. The end of the world is the heart of the father. The end is still far. Don't quit. Don't give up. They are cheering us up. All the saints. The glory of the riches of his inheritance in the saints. In the saints. In the saints. saints. You know, what the prosperity gospel does is very ridiculous. Very ridiculous. Receive your inheritance. Receive your Rolls Royce. Walk in it. Somebody said, when you see an unbeliever with a Rolls Royce, that's your inheritance. Claim it. You are a thief. That's not your inheritance. You are a thief. That gospel is very ridiculous. You go around take, claiming people's houses. I claim it by faith. I claim it. You are a thief. You don't claim things like that. The inheritance of the saints is the gospel bringing men to the kingdom. Is it clear here? Yes. That's what the inheritance is. Is God against you having stuff? No. He created the world where the stuff is so that you can have it. But he doesn't specifically give you stuff. He gives you an enabling environment so that you and others who don't believe in him can benefit from the world system. But where he's concerned, his mission on the earth is beyond the natural. is eternal to get men saved. For this purpose, the Son of God is made manifest that he may destroy the works of the devil. Jesus destroyed him that had the power of death and that is the devil. And having destroyed him, he now has given us the gospel to preach liberty to the captives, to preach the restoration of spiritual sight to them that are blind, to declare the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of God's favor, to preach that there's no more anger with God. God's anger, which is man-made, has been appeased by the death of Christ. You can now come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain grace and find mercy to help. In time of need. Come unto me all ye that labor and a heavy laden. I will give you rest. God is not holding anything against anybody any longer. Jesus' death has broken the middle wall of partition. Now anyone can come and everyone can come but they will not come without a preacher. And the preacher will not preach except he is sent. That's why your eyes are being opened to see that you've already been sent. So make it while the sun shines praise God somebody shout I'm called by God so the inheritance is to be part of what God is doing you are a part or you have been given a part of what God is doing John says of his fullness have we all received grace and for grace that's why Paul says you are a joint heir with Jesus you are a joint heir with Jesus then he now says you are a partaker of his sufferings Because for Jesus to take his possession in the earth, he had to suffer. Didn't he? For him to own us, he had to suffer. He had to become a man. He had to die. He had to be buried. He had to rise from the dead. He suffered to save us. So for us to get other people saved, we partake in the suffering. Ministry brings suffering. Suffering, there is no sickness and disease. Suffering there is persecution. Suffering there is things you have to give up. That you will have kept for yourself. So that other people can come into the kingdom. That's the suffering. You become a partaker. You are called into his suffering. You are called into his suffering. If you don't want to suffer, then don't preach the gospel. Oh, The preaching of the gospel will bring suffering. People are going to persecute you. Your family could even abandon you. Yeah. People are going to get on your case. People are going to hate you for for nothing. They just don't like you. Not because there's any, Bible says, don't think it's strange when strange things begin to happen to you as though you have done something wrong. No, if they did it to your master, they will do it to you. You're a preacher of the gospel or you've just understood the call of God for your life and things are all, all hell is breaking loose is natural. All hell has to break loose to distract you from the call. So he says persecution and affliction will arise for the world's sake. Because of what God is calling you to do, the devil has seen what impact you will have in his kingdom. He has to distract you with the temporal things. So, why we look not at the things that are seen, for the things that are seen are temporal. We look at the things that are not seen, because the things that are not seen are eternal. We set our gaze on Christ, and we walk on the waters of trials and tribulations. We do the impossible. Glory to God. Say with me, I'm called by God. Say there's a mandate of God on me. Now turn to your neighbor. Say it's an honor, it's an honor to be called to, to be a part of what God is doing. Remember, it took his life for this calling that you are called to be a part of. What an honor! What an honor. Whoa, what an honor. To be a part of what God is doing on the earth. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody shall glory. glory. Philippians says we're a part of his suffering. Part of his suffering. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That I become a part of his suffering. When they threaten the apostles not to teach and preach in the name of Jesus. They didn't listen to the people. They kept preaching. Then they grabbed them and gave them the beating of their life. And when they left the place where they were beaten, they began to rejoice and celebrate that they were counted worthy to suffer. In today's prosperity gospel, they will say God has abandoned you. That's why you're suffering. But in the gospel of Christ, suffering is part of the gospel. You'll be persecuted. It's part of it. Yes, you you have some scars for the preaching of the gospel carry the scars with pride is part of it you are identifying with your master in suffering sickness is not suffering so you rebuke it poverty is not part of it you rebuke that go make money yeah But people are going to cast aspassions on you. People are going to make a mockery of you. People are going to reject you. People are going to blackmail you. People are going to create stories that are not founded anywhere on you. People are going to resist you. People are going to look for how to just make sure you don't exist. That's what the suffering is. And the reason is for the gospel of Christ. And when suffering begins to come, know that you're on the right track know that okay i'm on the rock track count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations trials and tests look at the key knowing this knowing this you've got to know this because if you don't know this you will not count it joy they were rejoicing look these are the same people that a little girl told peter were with him i swear i don't know him i swear i don't know him i swear i don't know him (laughs) peter is sweating and swearing before a little girl yet now this is peter that stands up on the day of pentecost and he says men and brethren men and brethren why are you flabbergasted this is that which was spoken by prophet joel and jesus christ whom you healed by your wicked hands he is the one by his death who has shed forth his spirit which you now see and hear this same peter went to preach they grabbed him and gave him beating and he was happy to be beaten for jesus and when they finished beating him he left the place rejoicing that he was counted worthy to suffer let me tell you the truth when the holy ghost comes on your inside and this message becomes clear you're not afraid of anything Fear goes. You're now bold. You're now ready to preach this gospel. You're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Because you know what you carry is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is God's power. The gospel doesn't have power. The gospel is the power. So when you preach the gospel, you're preaching the power of God. It's not a feeling. It's in the message. When you have the message, you have the power. Glory to God. That your faith should not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Where is the power? The gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ. Hallelujah. The gospel of Christ. The power of God unto salvation. So we know that we have gotten to the end when what we started to do in Genesis has now been fulfilled. Look at Philippians 1, 27 to 29. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 to 29. You know, Brother Paul, when he said, finally, my brethren, then he continued talking. (laughs) So a good preacher will say, I'm about to close three, four, five times. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 8 says this is the summary. Then he had chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 12, chapter 13. And he calls that the summary. <laughs> Only let your conversation be as he becoming the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. That you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Next verse. Oh, you love this. and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. Adversaries here are those who persecute you. Next verse, now look at next verse. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. It is a gift, suffering for the gospel. It's a gift given to you. But on the behalf of Christ. <laughs> Didn't you see that? It is given. In the behalf of Christ. Not only to believe on him. So it's not the gift of faith for salvation only. But also the gift of suffering. For his sake. Suffering. People will misunderstand you. People will say things you never said. And there will be witnesses to confirm it. Just to hurt you. You're suffering for the gospel. You take it up in your stride. You smile and rejoice. And you keep forging on. You keep pushing on. When they think you're about to pack up, you open up another house church. You begin to disciple men. No giving up, no quitting. We are condemned to preach this gospel. Abandoned to it. We have no other place to go. We have no second second plan. We have no plan B. So either we preach this gospel or we preach this gospel or we preach this gospel or we preach this gospel. Nothing else to do. Necessity is laid on me and woe is me if I preach not the gospel of Christ. So suffering is a gift. It's a gift. Is a gift. In Ephesians it says that you may know the hope of his calling The word class is from Cleo. What is my calling? You know, somebody says, I am called to be a doctor. Wonderful. Somebody says, I am called to be a lawyer. And then somebody else says, I'm called to be a comedian. (laughs) In the book of Genesis chapter 1, let's lay a bit of this and then I will close from here. We start from here tonight. It's clear that Jesus had a systematic way of teaching. He always began from Genesis. So, where are we now? We are at the end of the world. When did the end of the world begin? It began 2,000 years ago. The end of the world began 2,000 years ago when Jesus began to finish what was started. So, how do we know the end has been fulfilled? We look at the foundation. The foundation shows us the plan of the project. Same way when someone draws the plan, we follow and lay the foundation. So Genesis is the foundation. You can see where God is going to from the foundation. We know we have gotten to the end when what we started to do in Genesis has now been fulfilled. So how do we know it has gone bad? (laughs) Like I said, Genesis is like a house project. Whenever you read the Bible, read the Bible as God's building project. That God is building something. So, if people are not understanding what you're saying, then you now break it down and say, okay, come let me show you what I'm saying. So, when God began his building project in Genesis, the audience didn't understand what Moses was saying. Because you see, God is a spirit. He communicates in visions. And they said, no, we are not getting what you're saying, Moses. So, Moses says, let me show you a picture. He brings them to a class. Okay? Where you reduce what you are saying into physical details. So, you're like Moses. So, come, let me show you what God wants to do in the earth. Since you didn't understand what I was saying in Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2. Now, you guys come in Exodus Let me show you what God was saying. So, get me carpenters. Some builders. God is a builder. But let me get some people. And then there's a division of labor. So now, he builds, Moses builds, a physical tabernacle. Which is not the home. Merely a parable. So the tabernacle that Moses built was a parable. It was a mode of communication. Since you guys are not understanding, let me reduce it into a parable. All right, get me carpenters, let's build a tabernacle. So they put things together. They didn't need the tabernacle. The building of the tabernacle was a waste of resources. But there was no other way to communicate God's plan other than the parable. So let us waste the resources so you can get the lesson. That's why that tabernacle, God never lived in it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) God never did. Because it was just an illustration. It was a parable. Since I said God wants to build, and you don't understand, build a tabernacle. That's why he gave them outer court, holy place, holy of holies, all in the tabernacle to communicate God's thoughts of a building project. Say, build me a tabernacle that I may dwell among you. I want to live among you. I want a house. But since you guys are not understand that you are going to be the building, come, let's build a house. So that we show you how God intends to live on earth among his people. So people began to bring materials for building the tabernacle of the Old Testament. Do you know that these guys didn't still get it? They still didn't get it. So David had to prepare materials to build another tabernacle to reinforce the message. They still didn't get it. I wonder how backward these guys were then Zerubbabel had to also come with materials to build the same tabernacle to communicate the same message Moses and the prophets they still didn't get it and Jesus showed up and said destroy this temple (laughs) (laughs) you destroy this temple and in three days I will build it up how dare you how dare you can you even destroy it in three days you said destroy and we build in three days how can we destroy and build in what took us 46 years are you okay and Jesus like you are the ones that are not okay I'm okay I'm trying to get you guys to be okay he died on the third day he rose again then the disciples understood oh so from Genesis 1 this temple talk it was about his dead burial and resurrection to live in me. Whoa. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, in my father's house. Amen. many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you, and when I do, I will come back and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also that I may dwell. Among you. God's building project. From Genesis 1. Is it getting clear? Can you see the whole Bible together? Yeah, God's building project. Look, there's nothing else God is doing on the earth. Apart from what I'm explaining to you here. There's nothing else. (laughs) There's nothing else. And it's an honor to be a part of what God almighty is doing on the earth. Glory to God. Hey, glory to God. I'm so blessed to be a part of God's plan. I'm so blessed to be a part of God's God's building project. I'm so blessed to be a part of it. So, which means all through the tabernacle, it was a picture of the reality. So, now pay attention. We will keep needing the foundation to make correction. Things got bad. Things will go bad along the line. So, question. What changed along the line? Things changed from Genesis 1.26. We had just one humanity. Then, Adam is used in two ways. Adam as mankind and Adam as a person and Eve. So, we have Adam who was male and female, which means in the beginning, there was just one tribe, one culture. Now, don't forget, the beginning is the plan. And in the beginning, we had just one tribe. One culture. Just one. Genesis 11, people were scattered. Genesis 1, one. Genesis 11, scattered. So God called Abraham to restart the Genesis project. God will have used Adam, but Adam didn't believe. So God had to wait for a believer. And in Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed. So now, God used Abraham, the believer, in his project to restart the project. In you shall all families of the earth be blessed. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Same mandate. So Genesis, I mean, Abraham restarted the Genesis project. The project of God filling the earth with the knowledge of his glory as the water covers the sea. Now, Stay with me, I beg you. Stay with me. So when they came to Jesus and brought culture, something that Moses permitted, Jesus, Matthew 19 verse 3, put it up, put it up, I'd like you to see it. Genesis chapter 19 verse number 3, learning something? Sorry Matthew 19 verse 3. where did Genesis come from? <laughs> <laughs> Glory. Glory! The Pharisees also came unto him tempting him and saying unto him, "Is it lawful for a man for a man to put away his wife." The man is a man. The woman is not a woman. He's a wife. <laughs> is it lawful for a man? Not for a husband. So the man is a real man. The woman is not a woman. He's a wifey. A redefinition of Identity. Are you observing? Yes. Now, so they're asking Jesus a, a question on marriage, and Jesus is answer, answering something else. What, what? 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 I love Jesus. Don't you love Jesus? Love Give me the next verse. Yeah. <laughs> and he answered and said unto them, Have you not read? <laughs> we are asking if we should put away our wives. Are you saying, Have we not read? Yes. <laughs> Have you not read? That he which made them. At the beginning he who made them no man wife them them so he changes the narrative he moves them from culture to identity that he which made them at the beginning Genesis made them male and female not man and wife Next verse. And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother. You didn't get that. You didn't get that. He didn't, that. <laughs> he didn't say, For this cause shall a woman. He said, It is the man that will live Counterculture. The man will leave father and mother and change his father's name and bear his wife's name <laughs> as his surname. Counterculture. Jesus is dealing with some realities here. A man shall leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the twin shall be one flesh. Next verse. Wherefore, they are no more twin but one flesh. What therefore God had joined together, let no man put asunder. Whoa! This is big for the Pharisees. They can't take disease too radical next verse. They say unto him, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? Observe that the man defined the woman by being a wife. Put away. Like the male was superior. Well, put her away. Jesus said, okay, hold on. Did you not read the plan? That what God is building in the earth supersedes marital relationship. Did you not read the plan? That it is not marriage first. It is the plan first. Did you not read the plan? It's not male and wife. It's male and female. Both are equal in the plan. Both are equal. No superior, no inferior in the plan. Did you not read? Male and female in Adam, and God blessed them. God didn't bless him. Them. And said to them, Be fruitful. This already takes care of whether a woman should preach the gospel or not. uh, To them. The plan supersedes marriage. Marriage ends here. The plan is into eternity. There's no marriage in the resurrection. It is natural. It has no spiritual spiritual bearing in eternity. It ends here. The reward for being married is that you were married. Case closed. And the day one of the parties leave by death or something that's the end of the union it has no implications in the realm of the spirit but the plan is for time and eternity so a woman who excuses why she cannot do ministry for marriage has not understood why she was created and a man who excuses why he cannot do ministry for marriage has not understood why he was created because it's the plan first marriage is inferior to the plan there's no excuse that's the plan he said have you not looked at the plan marriage came after the plan the plan is genesis one marriage is genesis chapter two and three it's the plan and you know genesis one is not yesterday genesis two tomorrow some of those chapters were like four five hundred years apart it's not like chapter one today chapter two no 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 there was a lot happened between the chapters it's just the way moses wrote a lot happened have you not read the plan male and female blessed called to preach. so the call of god on you to preach the gospel is god's blessing on your life that's why you a blessed are they that bring good tidings. Because the blessing is on you to preach the gospel. So every preacher of the gospel is a carrier of the blessing. The blessing of God. Every preacher. Every one of you called by God to preach. Who has answered the call to preach. You are blessed. You have the blessing of God upon you. Have you not read the plan? What God is building. Male and female are the same sides. Great and small. Slave, rich, poor are the same in that project. You know, it's in London, South Croydon. Okay, you need to get that material where I took time to explain to you what the rib was. That when God took the rib out of Adam, he's not rib. Any man that is missing his rib, see a medical doctor. It's a medical condition, it's not a marriage condition. If you're missing your rib, you don't have any missing rib. The word rib is a Bible language, the word rib means one part. Of the building, one part, like that wall to this wall, is one one rib, and that part to this wall is another. So, the rib, the woman and the man makes the house, and they are all equal in the making of God's house. That's the meaning of rib. I R B. The Greek, I mean the Hebrew word, and all of the exigencies is not rib. It's Bible language. The woman and the man are the same in the plan of God. No inferior, no superior. That's why in the spirit there is no male, no female. You're one in Christ. No Jew, no Gentile. No culture, no gender in the plan. No. No tribe in the plan. Tribe, culture, and gender as, as a result of the fall of man. But in the restoration of man back to the glory of God, culture, tribe, ethnicity ceases. One blood, one tribe, one tongue, one nation, one spirit, one body, one faith in Christ Jesus. One baptism. Teaching good. So, God takes them, Jesus takes them to the beginning. And so, when you, when you see him at the resurrection, Jesus in his resurrection, the project of his resurrection started from Genesis. So, that's why Jesus will always begin at Genesis. At, because that is where the plan is. Then Matthew also wrote the book of Matthew. Huh, are you here? Are you still here? Can I take a few more minutes of yours? Matthew chapter 1 verse 1. Matthew. So, Jesus always began from where? In the at the beginning. At the beginning, which is what? Genesis. Matthew chapter 1 verse 1, brother. Matthew chapter 1 verse 1. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The book of the generation. The opening of the book of Matthew says, "The book of the generation of Jesus Christ." The word generation is Genesis. The the book of the genesis of Jesus Christ. That's how Matthew started his teaching. Just like Jesus will begin at Genesis. Matthew also began at Genesis. Mark chapter 1 verse 1. See how Mark began his own book too. Mark chapter 1 verse 1. Glory to God. Glory to God. The beginning of the gospel. The genesis of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The son of God. That's how Mark started this. Now luke is the only person who didn't open his book with genesis but in chapter 24 beginning at moses and all the prophets. He expounded. So each of the three authors, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all of them started from where? Genesis. But it doesn't end there. John. John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. So John began at the Genesis. So both Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John started their books from where? Genesis. Because that's where the plan is. So everybody must go to the plan and begin from the plan. God's building project. God's building plan. At the beginning. In Genesis. Glory to God. So, we are human desires. Human creation has changed our focus. We go back to the hope of his calling. When we get distracted, we go back to the hope of his calling. When we begin to forget that there's a mandate on your life, there's a call on your life, we go back to the hope of his calling. Remember I told you, the word hope is a course to follow. A path we follow. So Genesis is where we know what is the plan. It's very terrible when any preacher of the gospel interprets the book of Genesis as a book of material blessings. He robs you of your realities. People get angry when I teach that in Eden, there was no snake. No apple, no trees, and no fruits. People just go like, what's wrong with him? Okay, write your own Bible. They're being sarcastic. Write your own Bible. Mm -mm. Are you also without understanding? Don't you understand the audience that Moses was writing to? They were people that didn't have understanding. So Moses would have to use parables. He would have to use figures of speech. Figures like tree. Figures like fruit. Figures like serpent. No serpent spoke to Eve. That's why the New Testament now, which is the revelation of the mystery, says the serpent which is the devil. So which means serpent was figurative of Satan. Just like tree was figurative of disobedience. I mean fruit okay was figurative of disobedience. So Adam eating the fruit means Adam disobeyed God's instruction. Simple, that's why Paul will now say, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death pass upon all men, for that all have sinned. See that? So he wasn't talking about fruits, nobody ate anything, those are figures of speech. In fact, the book of Genesis is majorly a book of parables, so many figures so many figures genesis a lot of figures of speech because of the audience moses was writing to an audience that were in captivity in egypt and he was enumerating to them the promise of god's deliverance that's the audience in genesis so that will inform little wonder that jesus also used parables so you want to ask say why did jesus use parables why did Jesus teach? He never spoke anything without parables. All the teaching ministry of Jesus were in parables. Why? Because the people could not handle anything beyond parables. So if in Jesus' time they couldn't handle parables, how much less in Moses' time? That's why Moses had to use parables to communicate the book of Genesis. And I've told you when the scripture is misinterpreted, a truth is lost. When you don't know what the foundation of the earth is, you will never know what the end is. So Genesis lets us know where we missed it. It lets us know who we are. It lets us know what we are called to do. When Jesus said whatever God has joined together let no man put asunder. They got upset and said why then did Moses give a bill of divorcement that she should be put away. They went to the fifth part. You know what they did? Jesus, Moses said put away your wife. You know where they're quoting from? Deuteronomy. They jumped Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. They said to Jesus, Deuteronomy, put away your wife after the fall. Jesus said, come back. As a good student, if you have a textbook, you don't read from the fifth book, come back. Have you not read that when he created them in the plan? So let's start from Genesis. Because for there to be a divorcement, something happened between the plan and the divorcement, the fall of man. Moses, because in view of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. That's not the plan. Stay with the plan, stay with God's plan. In God's plan, there's no inferior, there's no superior. But of course, in marriage, there's a husband and a wife. There's a head and there's, there's a neck or whatever. <laughs> yes, in your home, in your marriage, there is. But in the plan of God, there's no male, no female. Hallelujah. Amen. I said, hallelujah. Amen. God allowed it. So there are some things in the Bible as we study from tonight. We will see that God only allowed God is not behind it, but God allowed it. God accommodated it. For example, God didn't want to talk to them to build temples, but God accommodated Moses asking them to build. (laughs) You know, I said that God never asked Noah to build an ark. People... If they had stones, they would have thrown them at me. How dare you? How can you just say God didn't ask Noah to build an ark when God even gave him the measurement and gave him the dimensions of the ark? No. (laughs) You don't get revelation from mystery. You don't go to Genesis to explain Genesis. You come to the New Testament To explain Genesis. Because the New Testament is Christ revealed. The Old Testament is Christ concealed. You need the revealed Christ. To explain the concealed Christ. The Old Testament is darkness. The New Testament is light. You need light to navigate through darkness. In the new testament tells you that god didn't have any pleasure in the temple he didn't have any pleasure in the animals that they killed god was not interested in any of those so those were moses teaching notes for his class it's like a teacher in a class and you're teaching and your students are not understanding he say two of you stand up two of you stand up two of you stand up that's not in the notes that's you interpreting the notes using figures of speech to get the same message across Moses asking people to do things in the Old Testament was not in the plan. It was Moses' initiative to get the message home. So today we don't use Moses' parables. We now use revelation knowledge. The plan. Let's build a home for God. Let's go all over the earth preaching this gospel and raising temples for God Almighty. It's an honor to be called by God. Somebody bless shout a powerful amen. amen. Self me, I'm called, I'm called by God to build him a home, to, home. to be a part, yeah. a member yeah. of his family, oh, his family, to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory. In the name of Jesus, I answer the call to preach this gospel, to raise men, to bring men to the knowledge of Christ. I'm committed to To the cause of Christ. I'm committed to the mandate of global evangelism. In the name of Jesus, through me, the gospel is preached. Disciples are raised. Strong local churches are built. In the name of Jesus, I receive every revelation of God's word. To steer me up to fulfill this assignment. There's a cause for my life. There's a plan for my life. And I walk in that plan. I walk in that purpose. And I fulfill that call. In the name of Jesus. Thank you Lord Jesus. Lift your hands and give him thanks this morning. Go ahead. Give him thanks. Give him thanks. Give him thanks. Give him thanks. Give him thanks give God praise, give God thanks, give God praise, give God thanks. Praise you father. In the name of Jesus, praise you father. And I declare right now that in your mind, this light shines in your understanding. You have clarity of direction. You have clarity of thoughts. And you are willing and obedient in this day of his power. Thank you Lord. And all the grace that you require to fulfill this mandate is upon you now. Grace is upon you. Grace is upon you. Ability is upon you. In the name of Jesus. No excuse. No distraction. And in the name of Jesus, the voice of the enemy is silenced on your behalf. Thank you, Father. All that you need to fulfill this calling is already with you. So you walk in the breath. You walk in the length of this land. And as far as your eyes can see, you go and possess it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord ask of me the hidden, and I will give you for your inheritance and the uttermost part of the earth for your possession. Look at me everybody. Bring down your hands. When Abraham met Melchizedek in Genesis 14 what did Melchizedek say to Abraham? Blessed be Abraham of the most high possessor, Abraham, the possessor of heaven and earth. Melchizedek called Abraham the possessor of heaven and earth. Ask of me the hidden and the uttermost part of the earth for your possession. Abraham, the possessor, he blessed him. And he called him the possessor of heaven and earth. And today you are the possessor. So you go everywhere possessing the earth for God. Bringing men to the kingdom and setting the captives free by the preaching of the gospel. Possessor. If you do not preach the gospel, the wilderness will overtake the land and there'll be no home. But when you preach the gospel, you turn the wilderness into a home for God to live in. A habitation for the almighty. Your willingness, your obedience, sets the course for your life and brings into your heart everything you require. Everything. All the resources, all the wisdom, all the strength and ability and the step-by-step instructions that you will need to fulfill that call. Once you make yourself available and willing, it comes. It's not going to come before you take the step. So don't wait for a sign. You already have the sign his resurrection. Now you take the step. The moment you take the step, every resource did I not say in my word save the spirit of God these signs shall follow they shall follow you have to be on the go for them to follow they are not going to follow while you are staying they are going to follow while you are moving So, when you take the step, saith God, to obey, when you take the step to walk in the plan, you take the step first, then the resources, the abilities, and all that you require to fulfill the mandate and the plan that I have for you, comes into fruition. You take the step first. You walk by faith, saith God. You walk by faith saith God I'm not going to show you details of everything because if I show you the details of everything you will walk by sight I do not want you to walk by sight I want you to walk by faith you trust me and you take the step one day at a time and it will unfold as you begin to walk in the wheel as you begin to walk in the plan saith God it will unfold you will see and you will know You will see and you will know. And in your heart, you will have the witness of my spirit. So you walk in it. You walk in it, saith God. You walk in it. When you walk in it, you're walking in the light. When you refuse to walk in it, you keep yourself in darkness. So you walk in it. Walk in that light. Walk in that light, saith God. Walk in that light. And as you begin to walk in that light, It will not only be that men will be saved. It will not only be that the blessing will be all over the land. In your own personal life, you will see my goodness. You will see the manifestation of things you never asked me for. Things you never even looked for. All that you need and require, I will supply. Because I have already supplied. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Go ahead and give him praise. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Babron da Zocolo da Seke Lebrosa Kala da Basha, Lebrosa Colo da Bombro, Nengrandango, Sobila Nama Hatata, Nama Hatata, Legoro da Zocala da Babras, Legoro to Sukala da Mamrona, Nengrano, Nacrena, Keninge, Gelida, Baboro, Kotuna Kalaya. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Can we rejoice and make some Holy Ghost noise in this place? Glory! Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Father. Praise you, Father. Praise you, Father. Hallelujah. 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 And you know, I hear the Spirit of God say, and you have been concerned about things you should not be concerned about. Be not concerned about those things. Leave them for me. Just do what I will have you do. I will take care. Leave those concerns to me, saith God. You just do what I've asked you to do. And I will take care. I will take care. I will take care. Your health, I will take care. Your businesses, I will take care. Your family situation, saith God, I've already taken care of it. Just obey me and see how the blocks fall back in place. Yeah. All those concerns. You take the step and leave them to me. I will take care. Thank you Lord. Thank you Lord. Healing is flowing in this place. Healing is flowing in your mind. Healing is flowing in your emotions. Healing is flowing in your body. Healing is flowing all over you. From your head to the soles of your foot. Healing is flowing right now. God's goodness. God's goodness is flowing over you. Thank you, Lord. Praise your Father. Father. Babranta colo to pata nekea, Jecolocotuna casa, Lebrosa cale de bosataya, kolo de Bobo Jecele de Boho, Lebrosa cale de Bombra, Nengra da Socala de Baba, Legro Shakala de Baba, Lecotuma, Katina Kata. Agaretese Kelida Baro, Katana kola Nacaro Godosh, Lebrosa Cala de Baba. Praise you, Father. Praise you, Father praise you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Just wave your hands and just wave, wave to him. Just wave, wave your hands. Thank you, Lord. Wave your hands in worship and just bless his holy name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. God's power is moving through you right now. From your head to your legs. God's power is flowing through your system. Yes. 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 God's power. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Glory to God. In Jesus' precious name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Are we blessed this afternoon? Yeah. Glory to God. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Ah, I tell you, man, what a time. Please, you can be seated. Um, I'm going to hand over the microphone another five or ten minutes so we can take the break, go, rest a bit, think about the things we have taught. I know quite a number of heavy stuff that you need to really think and digest them before the next one. You know we don't come too early every day so the little time we're able to come we just push as much as you can take we push it you chew on it but i'm so glad to be here amen. amen praise god question if there's any on the things we have taught anything on the things we have taught the call of god the mission of god the mandate of god for your life there's a there's a hand here i'd like to answer if just two or three it's five ten minutes we're out Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Yes.
2: My own papa. Thank you. My own grober papa. Thank you. I'm so glad. I thank God. You are indeed a gift and a blessing. Thank you. Not only to the body of Christ, but for the whole world. I thank you so much because I was lost in religion. I was lost in legalism, but you pulled me out. There was a time in my life, even if I minister, I come back home, I cry. I'm crying, but people are celebrating. Oh, you, you do good. I mean, you preach well, you do good things. I mean, you, people are getting blessed and so But I always come back to my closest, I would cry. Something was missing and I was deep down inside me hearing something is missing. Something is lacking. Why? Because I was in religion, just preaching the religion and we all what, and uh, law and mixing grace and law together. So there was the spirit witnessing in me something is wrong. Yep. So you are missing something. Then I always cry. So I had to look for other men of God ready to say, this is my problem then i came across a prophet who said oh woman of god the no grace grace has left too long grace left too long you just wasting time so he, for one month lighted candle pouring all the oil all the handkerchief all the manipulation the grace never came back <laughs> as we were saying so one day to cut the long story short one day I came across a message. It turned my whole life, just one day, one message. It turned my whole life around. Complete change in my life. I received that inner joy, that inner peace that I lost it for quite some time. I received it just by your one message. Then I was in Cameroon. I would say, oh, when will I see this Papa? Papa, come over. Come over to Cameroon. We need uh, more lighthouses and disciples. Come over. That was my prayer night and day. I said, but I'm longing one day to see Papa. One day, 2019, we met in England, in Southampton, Ooh. in Pastor James
0: First
2: Church. Church, I met with you because I'm out here for long because my daughter has been sick. I met. I presented the matter to you. So I said one thing, Papa, Cameroon, Cameroon. I'm going up, but my Christ, Cameroon, Cameroon, and I'm glad. You started. You went to Cameroon. Started in Bamenda, where I come from.
0: Oh my goodness! Yeah, we from were there. Bamenda,
2: where I, I'm so excited. Papa. That's God! Why I called you, my personal papa.
0: Praise <laughs> God! My personal Praise papa. God. <laughs> Praise yeah. God! So, and we're um, back. We're back to Cameroon in April. Amen.
2: Yes, we're we'll in Cameroon in Amen. April. Amen. Amen. Praise so, God. papa, my question is this. Is regarding evangelism. Okay. You talk to people, they say they don't know Christ, they know only God. God is Jehovah, God is Yahweh. They call all the names. So how can I be going to the Son? Jesus is only the Son, but God is the real man that we can go to. So they say we believe in the superpower. We believe in some higher power which is God, but we don't believe in Jesus. No need going to Jesus, who is just the Son, for prayers. You need just to go to God direct. Why? So don't begin to call you know, God your Father. So God is Yahweh, God is Jehovah, and He's God. We don't believe in Christ. We believe, we don't, is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and tell all those names. But you try by all means to explain, to
0: talk to them.
2: But they don't seem to see it. Papa, as such,
0: what, what do I you do? do? Okay. Thank you again. Nice to meet you again. And thank you for your prayers. You know, we're going to Cameroon, like I said. And we trust God for a big harvest Amen. in Cameroon. Amen. Now, Jesus is God. Outside Jesus, there's no God. The only God that exists is Jesus. So when you meet such people, they've been messed up by religion. So you have to begin the journey. And I will recommend for you my teaching where I took from Genesis to explain that Jesus is God. Using the Hebrew names for God to bring Jesus out. It's a full teaching. When you stay with that teaching and you understand it, when you come across such people, you will disarm them within seconds. When we're coming to London, I mean to Los Angeles, we were in the train, we used the Hitro Express, which is like fifteen minutes from Paddington to Heathrow. That was fast for us. So we decided to use the train. And there was this Muslim boy in the train. I'm sitting with Pastor Matthew, and Pastor Matthew just walks to him and says to him, We're preachers of the gospel. We're men of God. We preach Christ. And the guy said, I'm a Muslim. Nice to meet you. And then he said, but you Christians, you say Jesus is God. How many gods do you have? Oh, Pastor Matthew took him on straight. ba 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 bah. And explained to him how that God is one. And because he is God Almighty, he can be anything he wants to be. Within seconds, this guy was already asking us, how can I have a relationship? All these questions were disarmed within seconds because Pastor Matthew understands how to explain it. It's one thing to know the message, it's another thing to be able to explain it. That's where learning comes. That's where these conferences are very critical. So I recommend for you the teaching. You know, um, I'm trying to remember there are quite a number of series, but there's this one on um, on God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity series. Okay? That explains to you that God, I mean, Jesus is God who became a man. Alright? So, what I'll do is I'll tell Pastor Fidelia the titles and she will organize them for you to have so you can listen to them. And then the misunderstood God, knowing God in Christ. Knowing God in Christ is a full exegesis on Jesus as God Almighty. Very easy ways of explaining from the Bible. They will give you scriptures where Jesus didn't call himself God. They will give you such scriptures. But those teachings will help you to debunk all of that. Okay? That's what you do. Learning, learning, learning makes you skillful in communicating your faith. So, Pastor Fidelia will give you the titles and organize the messages for you. But thank you for the question. Bless you. Praise God. Yes.
1: Hello Papa. Um Blish. the last time I saw you was seven years ago in Cyprus, Pastor Tunji. When I came to Cyprus. Yes, sir. Oh, you yes, were sir. there. I was there. My goodness. And it was um it was fire all over the island. I can remember. It was, yeah. <laughs> and I have a photo of you on my phone. We took, we had a photo together and uh that was uh that changed my life. Praise God. Because then I was in Yes. And um <laughs> Um, it was crazy. Where so is? I have a I have a question for you. It's very similar to
0: what she's asking. Okay. Yeah.
1: So I have a lot of friends that are very rational. Yeah. They try to um, understand the old concept of God. Yeah. Um, by logic. Yeah. How do you deal with those people?
0: You must let them know that he that cometh to God must first of all believe that he is. You can't know God by logic. You know God by faith. It is after you know him by faith that you will understand him by logic. You don't understand him by logic to believe. Mm -mm. You believe first to understand him by logic. So that's why the gospel is a message of faith. So don't follow them in their logical debates. Communicate the message of faith and pray for them. Once you pray the message comes with power their mind opens up they believe then their understanding opens up to the details that explains how that God is real it's warfare the devil has blinded their minds that's why in their dark minds they are looking for a logical explanation but that dark mind will not be unlocked by explanation it will only be unlocked by faith. So we preach faith and we pray as we preach. Yesterday I said it here. Revelation knowledge comes by prayer. Then revelation knowledge produces conviction. Okay, so yesterday's teaching will help you a lot. But that's how you you you, you deal with that. And if they're still arguing, you leave them, you pray, you pray, you come back again. You preach the same thing until boom, their, their minds open up. I've met a number of people who call themselves atheists. By the time I was through with them, they got saved. Then they understood. And then they discovered they were just being stupid for calling themselves atheists. But they couldn't have understood that if their mind was not open, they would have argued forever. So that's why prayer, in whom the God of this world has blinded their minds, lest the glorious light of the gospel should shine in their hearts. So we pray, we pray, and then we preach. Then the prayer power behind the message Boom, breaks the blockade in their mind, and suddenly faith comes alive. They believe. Then we start teaching them to understand the concept of God. Bless you, praise God. Yes, so we take you last before we go for the break. Praise God. You have one more, okay? Second to the last,
2: then. okay, Papa. Thank you so much Thank for you. what you have been doing. Thank I'm so you. excited.
0: Praise God.
2: Permit me to say that you are the best.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
2: Glory. So, my question is when we are teaching, you told us that the end of the world is the death of Jesus and the beginning is the resurrection. So, how can we reconcile this with rapture?
0: Okay, first of all, there's no rapture in the Bible, it's nowhere.
2: Okay. I'm coming. I
0: have no fear. Okay. <laughs> the word rapture does not exist in the Bible. What Pentecostals call rapture is what the Bible teaches as the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of the dead is not the end of the world the resurrection of the dead is the completion of redemption that's the last part of redemption
2: is it the second coming
0: okay so that's what we call the second coming but it's actually not second coming it's actually third coming
2: <laughs> <Okay>.
0: <laughs> but second coming to avoid too much arguments but it's actually the third coming because Jesus came the first time for us then he came the second time Into us. He's coming the third time with us. For us. Into us. With us. Is it clear? So, But when they say second coming. It's actually the same thing. Which is him coming with us. He's not coming for us. He's coming with us. It's called the manifestation. Of the sons of God. When mortality gives way. To immortality. That's the complete redemption of the body.
2: another one is this just more if the end of the world is when the world will be filled with the glory of God do you think it will happen in our own time
0: it may and it may not nobody has a time but we keep preaching we keep preaching if it doesn't happen in our time it will happen someday you know the first person who said we shall not all sleep is Paul he said we shall not all sleep then he slept so, do you understand? Yeah. Yes.
2: Oh, another one. <laughs> Last. Yes. It's just small thing. Praise God.
1: Hallelujah.
2: When do you think that God will finish his house?
0: The finishing of God's house is when all of us preach and get everybody born again. That's the end of God's building then the house becomes a home where God eternally tabernacles with us forever. So we have a part to play. And that's why evangelism, raising disciples, and preaching the gospel, all of us, is our collective responsibility. Thank you. God bless you. Praise God. You. Pastor Shedrach, where is the last person?
1: Yeah, uh, it's a, a, a question that the, the campus, the Canadian sent. From Canada? Yeah, okay, so go, go ahead. So the question is... Uh, uh, in Moses communicating God's plan to the Israelites, can we can we say of uh, can we come to the conclusion that that's how they put it that Moses really understood God's plan?
0: Yes, he Moses Moses understood God's plan. Moses knew Christ. Moses knew Christ. He understood the plan. That's why he could communicate it, but he didn't understand it the way we understand it. Do you understand? He understood the plan enough to communicate that there was a plan. And even use parables to communicate what he understood. But the details of that revelation was not for Moses. It was for us. Okay, So that's why today we have the spirit of God living in us. Moses didn't have the Holy Ghost living in him. So there are things he couldn't understand. That we understand from what he communicated. So his message was complete, but he himself didn't understand the details of what he said. So today we understand the details of what he said enough to even teach him if we find him. Because we have the Holy Ghost in us. Is it clear? I hope it's clear for the brethren in Canada. Praise the Lord. Are we blessed? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. A lot of teaching, a lot of learning, a lot of unlearning, but we're glad to be with you. Catch some rest. We'll see you by 6 p.m. tonight, and it's going to be an explosive meeting. Yeah, water, water. Praise God. And when we fellowship in the Word, we give, we honor the Word. we give so that the bills of this conference are paid for. We give so that also we're able to get this message around the nations of the earth through the various platforms that we use to preach the gospel. So you want to give, you know, either cash or you want to give through the bank account, whatever, you know, you want to give towards this meeting. We want you to know we appreciate and honor you for honoring the word of God and honoring the labor of Christ. Father, we give in faith. We rejoice for the privilege to give this afternoon. Thank you for the things we're learning. Thank you for revelation knowledge made available to us. Everyone giving today, our offering is worship to you and our offering is an honor for what you've done for us. And we thank you for the privilege to be part of the army that covers the earth with the fragrance of your grace. To be part of the army that preaches this gospel to the ends of the earth. And we rejoice. And we thank you that our offering is a sweet smell before you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. All right, so you can drop your offerings at the pulpit or you can transfer. But we love you and we'll see you at 6 p.m. I'm handing over the microphone for whatever announcements that may be there for us before we go. Praise God. Hallelujah.
2: Thank you daddy. Glory. Glory. Are you equipped? Yes. Ready for tonight? All right. We, where well, you're still giving by cash by Zell with the number here to the projector. We also have the card if you need to swipe. America likes to swipe. See my sister Pastor Shenmue, right here. Please swipe, swipe with her. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Praise God. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you so much. We are grateful again. Bless you. Thank you. All right, we'll see you tonight at 6 p.m.